on the tee from Australia, Adam Scott. There it is, Adam Scott. Expect anything different? Brilliant. What an up and down that was. In your life have you seen anything like that? Welcome to the clubhouse. Yeah, g'day everyone and welcome to the clubhouse right across Australia. Great to have your company as we talk all things golf. Julian Bayard and Mark Allen with you. Hey, Marco from our new studios today. Hey, Jules, the new studios look sensational. <laughs> well done to everybody here at Croc Media. They That's have good, done a sensational job. I don't know who the brain power is around here, but they've done a fabulous job. He'll tell you about it too. Will he? Yeah, Georgie man, Boy. George. Well done, Georgie yep. Boy. Hey, it's a big week for Australian golf. Isn't it? There's a new professional that we have who used to be the number one amateur mm-hmm. player in the world should have been the leading amateur at the masters oh, we did speak in fact that. i mean if you anchor if you anchor your putter you anchor your putter if you, hey, if you want to anchor your putter let's have an anchored putted masters yep. let's do that <laughs> see how that so goes so that you know Adam bernard Scott's langer favorite <laughs> yeah bernard langer and ian woosnam and whatever the guy's name was who won the leading amateur at the masters yep. those guys can play in that tournament but for the people who don't anchor their putter yep. Curtis Luck, what a year. What a final year. U.S. Mm. Amateur Champion, Asia Pacific Amateur Champion, and leading amateur, or leading amateur who played the right way at Augusta as well. This week he plays at the Texas Valderrama Open. Yep. And it's a big one for him. Mm. Now, what has he got to do, Marco? What's he do from here? Well, a bit like a bit like um, Ryan Ruffles. Last year as a 17-year-old, Ryan Ruffles was pretty much the hottest property yes. in amateur golf. Not the number one amateur, but the hottest property in amateur golf. And he got his seven starts on the US Tour. So you pay your money to become a member. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a reputation like a Ryan Ruffles, mm-hmm. then you can get seven starts. If you make around $400,000, it's probably in points now, so whatever the equivalent is, then you can receive more special invites to tournaments and you can actually play your way on without going through the tour school. Now the tour school is not what it used to be. Once upon a time, I mean, even I got to the last stage of the U S tour school. (laughs) Once upon a time, you could be real easy. (laughs) Thanks buddy. Back in, back in 1994, um, my ranking was high enough from Australia to go straight into the last stage of the U S tour school. I'm not sure that it applies anymore, but it was a luxury that Australian golfers used to have. And I got right through to the last stage and missed but if I got through, I would have been on you know, the main tour of the show. Yeah. I would have been playing on that tour. I wasn't ready for it. Yep. Um, someone like uh, Curtis Luck, probably ready to go. Yeah. In his own mind, he'd probably be ready to go. These days, the tour school is very different. You go to the tour school to become a web.com player. And then you've got to finish in the top 25. And then if you don't finish in the top 25 and you just miss out, then you get to play in the fall series. Yes. Then if you play in the fall series, you've got to finish in the top 25 money winners yep. and then of those top 25 and the top 25 and the guys who don't get 125 on the main tour this does make sense if you play it back folks i promise <laughs> then they all come together and you finally get your card yes so curtis luck has this opportunity mm. so basically he's got to play well once just once and when i say you got to play well once you've got to finish in the top three yep. win second third if you play, if you finish fifth or sixth, it's not bad. Yeah. But then you've probably got to finish fifth or sixth again. again. Yeah. So we saw Ryan Ruffles last year. And by the way, whoever is the management team of Ryan Ruffles, and I know it's Jason Day's management team, he's, he's snuggled up close to Jason Day. He and he's played his cards beautifully because Jason Day will say, I will come and play in your tournament. Well, in fact, oh, let me rephrase that. Oh, hang on. Jason Day's management 
will say, yes, Jason will come and play in your tournament. If. If. Old mate can play. Young Ryan Ruffles, little riser. And the, oh, can get yeah, a start. Of course he can come along. We'll find oh, a spot. Uh, scratch my head. Jason Day, yeah. former world number one. Our field's yeah. looking pretty good, but he would make uh, yeah. the poster for our tournament. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So Ryan Ruffles, one, good golfer. Mm-hmm. Two, great reputation. Three, failed last year. But four, let's give the kid a massive tick for snuggling up next to Jason smart. Day. Smart. Smart. A good, smart, young Halebury boy, Marco. That that's is, why that's he's exactly done right. it. That is exactly right. He's a Halebury <laughs> kid down here in Melbourne. It's, yes. a, it's a time-honored school, folks, if you're listening around the country. Some quality students have gone through there, Marco. Were you a Halebury kid? I was, yes. Ah, what campus did you go to? Uh, I was Berwick originally and then right Keysborough. Yeah. Good on yeah, you. Yeah. So, well, my little mm. boys can hopefully, hopefully, we'll look it up. One day we'll get to Halebury. Yep. Um, look, so Ryan Ruffles is going through that procedure at the moment. Now, as a 17-year-old, to get enough points to keep your card, bloody tough. Mm. Yes. Tough to yep. do that. Um, but Curtis Luck, different, different. Different way of thinking here. I mean, he has a reputation. He has basically been a professional golfer yep. last six months. Hasn't won a cracker because you're an amateur and yep. you don't win any money. Been paying his own way. But he's played in tournaments like you know, the Masters, Arnold Palmer's event, tournaments in Dubai and, and the Arab Emirates. He's played in the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. He's played some big ones. Mm. Played in the Perth Super 6 he or did. the World Super 6 Perth. So he's, he's you know, he's, I would say, not tournament hardened. But there is no question that he probably feels pretty safe. Yep. But hang on a second, because here we go. It's time to turn pro. And, you know, it does funny things to you. I mean, when I turned professional, I remember my very first shot. I played in a, <laughs> I played in a pro-am. Where was it? At Lang Lang. Lang Lang. I played in a pro-am a at course. Lang Lang. And, you know, my, my pedigree as an amateur golfer wasn't super high, but, uh. you know, I was shooting tournament records in America for yep. college tournaments and things like that. So I, I could play. Yep. I go on the first tee, Lang Lang, and I look down at the ball, and I'm thinking to myself, "Man, this is a nice kind of. This is the first shot of a nice little journey." And I top the ball. How far did it go? Not very far. <laughs> Ended up shooting par. That's another story. Oh. But it, look, what what happens is it's a different way of thinking. All of a sudden, you're not just trying your hardest. All of a sudden, you're trying your hardest, and you've got to make some cash. Yeah. And it's very, very different. It's a different mindset. You know, you start getting on Friday and you might be two on the par. And you might know that two on the par is on the cut. All of a sudden, you've got tournament pressure for the first time on a Friday. And it's your livelihood. It's your livelihood. No more messing around. Mm. I mean, if you miss this cut, you've only got six starts to get those points. You go to the next tournament. You're on the cut line. Yeah. Something happens. You, All you, know, of a sudden you, those you make a par. Putts are a lot longer than three foot. You might hold that three footer to make the par, mm. but everybody else birdies the last instead of your par, yep. and the cut line goes from two under to three under, and bang! Now I've only got five starts. Yep. That happened. To, that happened to Ryan Ruffles last year as a seventeen-year-old. Now Ryan, like I said, he's going to get his seven starts again. We wish him well. But now Curtis Luck starts out on this. Now, the simplest thing is just to win. To go out Get a win. and play years. well. There's your two years. Get out there and play well. And, you know, we've seen players do it. Like Even even when, again, when I turned pro, the, the gun amateur kid coming through was David Duval. Mm-hmm. He was the can't miss. Mizuno paid David Duval $1 million US and he didn't have a US tour card. They thought he was a certainty to get through. He missed like I missed. And he and I ended up playing the Hogan tour or whatever it was called back there. It was either the Hogan tour or the Nike tour. It was one of them. 
and we played a season together in, in 1994. He couldn't miss, missed, and still had a million bucks in his pocket. Andy. So even someone like David Duval, he, he got his seven starts and he missed. Yeah. So it's no guarantee, no. but my God, if he just can somehow do it, we'll be watching. Sneak now, a little one. Let me tell you this, because at the Australian Open this year, we did AO Radio. Yes. Um, and it's going to be happening next year. I'm sure Clock Media will probably do it next year. Um, it's a great thing. Yeah. And we get really close up with the best amateurs. And last year, Mike Clayton and myself, and Mike Clayton's a well-known golfer in this country, tournament winner, tournament des- uh, golf course designer, writer, the whole lot. Uh, we had our amateur draft. So a bit like, you know, you have the football draft, whether yep. it's the NFL or the AFL or whatever. So the three guns this week, the three guns were uh, Brett Coletta. Then we also had Minwoo Lee yep. and Curtis Luck was in the field. Now, Curtis Luck had the best pedigree, but Clayton and I both took Brett Coletta yes. as the draft pick number one, <laughs> followed by Minwoo Lee. He was draft pick number two. And then Curtis Luck was last. Now, Curtis Luck was only last because of the way he swings the golf club. Mm. But if we were having purely a presence draft, then Curtis Luck is one, two, three, and there's daylight yeah. until about 12. He's right up there. And I, I really rate did you, presence. Did you see during the Masters, Marco, mm. the day in the life of Curtis Luck that they did every day on it was the brilliant. Masters website? Brilliant. Sensational. Absolutely brilliant. He's got some charisma about him, doesn't he? A fantastic insight. Not yep. only that, I mean, not uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't happen often. But when we're talking about charisma, this kid won the best rest <laughs> at Augusta as well. Now, normally that's reserved for somebody, you know, very different. Yep. Somebody very different. Not a guy with a with a man bun. Man bun. He's the first golfer on tour, maybe uh, Jimenez. No, Jimenez. Jimenez has been doing that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I'll tell you what. I, I remember the first time I ever saw Miguel Jimenez. Can I tell you this quick story? Okay. I'll indulge me. I was playing in the British Open, and there was a small practice area at yep. Carnoustie. And this dude <laughs> with red curly with a cigar hair. Cigar in his mouth. He, he looked like, you know, can you remember Dickie Lee from yeah, Hey Hey yeah, Saturday? Yeah, yeah. It was a red haired Dickie Lee was in front of this Spanish dude. And because we're all so close, and he had this inside swing, he was almost knocking over my pyramid of golf balls. His swing was so far inside. And I'm looking at him going, who the hell is this dude? Mm. And get out of my way. Since then, of course, he's won about everything and yeah. made probably 50 million euros. Tearing the seniors to apart. Tearing everything apart. I mean, he's kicked on a bit, fair to say. Yep. But that's the first time I saw Miguel. And yep. he, he, wasn't a, he wasn't a hair bun man then, but he is mm. now. And maybe the hair bun has done it for him. Maybe that's what the difference is. Maybe. Maybe it's always having a cigar in the mouth. Anyway, fingers crossed yes. as this well, goes to, to air. Him. Good luck to him. We're seeing him on the first page or the second page of that Texas Open leaderboard because it would be enormous to have a good young player coming through. He can putt. He's got the mindset. Whether or not his game stands up over a long period of time. Yep. That's, that's the, the one. That's the test. That is the one. Yep. And he's and not you've, pl- said he's, you've said previously about his swing yep. as well yep. and, and issues there. That he Shoulders stop, keep. arms keep going. Yep. That, that is an issue. Yep. Um, not many players have been able to get away with it. Not many. But not many players have either won a, no. a US amateur, yeah. a Asian Pacific amateur, and a Masters leading amateur title. I've, we've given you've him. given it to him. Well, the club, not the clubhouse. You're involved. You've given him. His, you've did. given it to him. Stuff everybody else. Yeah, that's right. He gets that trophy. Now, Marco, change of tact. Yep. Because we've got a special interview coming up that you did during the week. You're yeah. very privileged. Very privileged in the studio during your chasing birdie show. Yeah, we had the, the CEO of Golf Australia, Stephen Pitt. Yep. So many things happening there, and mm-hmm. we're looking forward to uh, reliving that. I know a lot of this show goes to a lot of. 
areas that isn't in Melbourne. Yep. It goes very much regionally and right around the country. And it's a new handicapping system and a new way of getting your handicap. You're going to hear about that soon. Yep. Um, the direction of Golf Australia, trying to get all the bodies under one umbrella. We mm-hmm. speak about everything. And then I even start asking him a little bit later, and I know it's been my hobby horse for a long time, but trying to get our tournaments in February, including his Australian Open that is in November these days. Mm-hmm. November was fine a long time ago, but mm. you and I both know the landscape of golf Clean around air. the world Clean has air. changed. So Clean I ask air. him about that as well. So we'll hear from that. Uh, we'll hear from Stephen a little bit later on yep. in the show. Looking forward to playing that. Now, I've just logged on to my computer here. Yes. The, uh, the new golf.org.au, which is the old golf link. Sensational. Handicap calculator. It's got everything on give there. Give us a look at the, the handicap. handicap look up. It's, give me a look, um, at, me look at what you're doing there. Look at that. That's and folks, so you're on 8.0. 8.0. Well done. So, folks, you can, this, is, this, this is, is why it's gone out, because look at how poorly I've played here, Marco. Oh, your last one was an orange one, though. Yeah, the last one was. This was a, Where was that at? Beacon Hills. Beacon Hills. Good stuff. And then, but this is what worries me, Marco, between the 15th oh, no. and the 19th rounds. These are all going out shortly. Well, just as well, you've got the <laughs> anchor. Just as well, you've got a four-shot an anchor. anchor. Yes. I'll tell you what, when you hear... So what's my, my anchor is 10.6, so... Your anchor is 10.6? 5.6, so I can only go to 10.6. Okay, so anchor, yeah. I thought your uncle was four shots, but it's five shots. Yeah. Well, Stephen Pitt knows this system back to front. Yeah. And, you know, we had some queries about, you know, maybe lower handicappers are finding it very difficult to win a comp. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's the way it's always been. Yeah. It's always been that's that right. way. I mean, it's really, it's kind of a first world problem, isn't it? You're yeah. down to single figures and you're complaining, that you, can, you know, you're 38, do, your 38 points doesn't win the comp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the handicapping system is a ripper. And yep. Stephen Pitt does too. Now, we delve into it and we'll get a bit, get a bit of I that I want to ask your opinion yep. first. The the DSR. The Daily Stroke Rating? Yeah. Is that it? Yep. Or is it Scratch Rating? I've got sure. Daily Stroke Rating. Daily Scratch Rating, maybe. Maybe, yeah. One so or the other. I want to ask you about this system, Marco. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who probably don't understand it, yep. don't quite understand how it works. Yeah, that's right. So uh, your your golf course might be a par 72. Yeah. But on metal day, rate. it might be a uh, it might be rated at seventy four. Mm-hmm. On midweek, it might be rated seventy three, and maybe those corporate days where the tees are way forward, it might be rated as a seventy two. Yeah, or it might be the other way. You know, it, they can all swing within. Mm-hmm. I think it's three shots, four shots, depending on what tee you hit off. Now, depending on the size of the field, um, weather conditions, mm-hmm. they take into account scores in that competition. They so, do. if for whatever reason the greens have been at that perfect pace and all the pins have been mm-hmm. right in the middle of the, you know, the easy bits where the ball seems to funnel down to the pin and you've been playing indoors, it feels like there's been no wind. Mm-hmm. And quite often, you know, everybody's average score, the average score might end up being 34 points. Yeah. But there is a formula, I think it's probably calculating the top 10% of cards, yep. 20% of cards, something like that, uh, that will dictate. So if, the, if those, whatever those top range cards come in at, it might increase or decrease uh, yep. that DSR. So I've I always found it fascinating. I didn't quite understand this system yep. for quite a while because you would, you might have thirty six points, yep. and it would say that it, you played say your handicap was eight, like yep. mine, and it would say you played to ten point nine. Yeah, and you'd right. go, hang on a minute, what are you talking? I played about? to my handicap. Yeah, took and me. So what it is is the actual definition here, Marco. Mm. Golf Link determines your daily scratch rating for the group of players you played amongst. By comparing the actual average Stableford score for your group with the average Stableford score the group was expected to, to have. have. Correct. So it actually is determined and they can actually have, your club can nominate to have a different scratch rating in the morning compared to the afternoon if the conditions change. Is that right? All that sort of stuff. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Mm. To me, I, I'd leave it. I, I would. I wouldn't have that. I would say it will, it will average out over time. Yeah. Some days it's going to be perfect. Other yep. days it's going to be windy as. Mm-hmm. But just for the confusion. Yeah. I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't touch it. And, and I know that probably goes against, you know, f- fairness. Because yep. sometimes you might have 36 in a hurricane. You go, you want to be rewarded. Yep. But other days you'll have 36 when it's been absolutely perfect mm. and you don't get kind of done yep. by having 36. So I think, you know, we, weather conditions should be handled in slope of the golf course. So yeah. if your golf course is well, on the beach, it should be integrated there. If, it's, if yeah. it's probably, It probably is anyway. Well, it is. I mean, the slope rating itself, Marco, is another whole entire conversation. Mm. There's a lot of people who think that their courses should be ranked a lot harder than what they are. Yeah, well, it's funny. Some of the golf courses down our peninsula, they're the ones that are the highest ranked. And it mm. takes in the green size, bunker depth, yep. tea tree. Howling uh, winds off the ocean. Howling winds off the ocean. It's pretty intricate mm. what they do. I'm a believer in the system. I know not many people are, but I yep. am. And I think it's important that if you play, you know, the tough golf course down here, let's say it's, National Old, yep. which is a tough golf course mm-hmm. in my view. Or probably let's say the National Mooner. Mm-hmm. It's a very, or any of the National Golf Courses, they are tough courses. Yep. But you might also be playing at Elba Park, which is the local um, inner city public course that we have here in Melbourne. Now, you can't have a bloke shooting par at uh, the National and a bloke shooting around par at Elba Park and have them on the same number. That's right. That doesn't work. No. So if you're at one of these great golf courses where – you're shooting even par regularly and your handicap's plus two. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make, I know that doesn't make sense. But you've got to remember there's got to be a guy at Albert Park who's shooting par regularly and he's off three or four. Correct. And that's why it balances out. Correct. And that's why I'm a believer in the system. And I know there are arguments, but you've got to remember people play at all kinds of golf courses. That's right. And Golf Australia and the handicapping system are taking everything into account not just the elite golf courses where yep. people like to play. That's right. Interesting. Gonna be it's gonna be really good to hear from Stephen Kidd. So I'm looking forward to that. I missed the chat during the week. So well, we do it once a year. So yep. once a year it's gonna be on the clubhouse as well. Yep. And today is the day. Very nice. Now before we get to a break, really yep. quick one. Really quick one. Sure. Played golf during the week. Yeah. And on a uh par five, it was yeah. the fourteenth of Beacon Hills, I'll I'll say. Yeah. And I hit my shot well left and yes. there's a practice fairway down the left hand side. Yes. And I was on the practice fairway. Right. I hope the practice fairway balls were yellow and yours was a white ball. Oh, there were no balls actually on there, which okay. was good. So right. It was early in the morning, so it was good. Good. I played up the practice fairway. Yeah. And then hit across to the green. Nice. And made par. Should well, that be allowed? Yes. Should you be allowed to go you, on? Yep. Yep. I, 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 what the, my biggest hate in golf yep. is inbounds. Out of, out of bounds. Oh, you makes me sick. I completely agree, and I love it. And I, th- I was sitting there thinking to myself, yeah. this might actually not be a bad way to play this hole, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, look, uh, there are instances, you know, Royal Melbourne, a lot of players, when the pin was on the right mm. in the early days, they used to play out onto the first they on would. purpose, and it gave you a much better angle in. But Royal Melbourne just said, well, stuff you guys, and they planted some mature trees, and now <laughs> it's impossible to do. Right. So there's always that option. Yeah. But if you end up, if, if that's not an option and you find players are going down the wrong fairway, then I implore all golf clubs to plant some mature trees yes. and stop it. Don't plant a fence. <laughs> it looks disgusting, folks. Just spend some money and plant a mature tree for yep. safety reasons and also the integrity of the golf hole. Mm-hmm. Like it. Good like it. We're going to get to a break, marker on the other side of this. Hang on, hang on. Did you snap hook it off the tee? Is that why you found yourself? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> of course I did. Not at home.
fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Still got par. I was happy with that. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> All right, we're going to get to a break. We're going to hear from Golf Australia CEO Stephen Pitt right after this. In your life, have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. Yeah, welcome back. It is The Clubhouse right around Australia. Julian Bayard and Mark Allen with you. Great to have your company as we talk all things golf right across the country. And Marco, we spoke about it already during the week. You had a chat on your Chasing Birdie show yep. on SEN about uh, all things golf you do every week, but you had a special guest in. Yeah, we did. The CEO of Golf Australia. His name is Stephen Pitt. He's been doing a fantastic job. And he came into the studio with myself and Mark Hayes, mm-hmm. uh, who is the media manager of Golf Australia. And, of course, go to golf.org.au. Any chance you get to check out your new handicap, That's save it. it to your phone. You don't have to worry about paying anybody fees anymore. It's a great system. Mm-hmm. But let's have a listen to Stephen Pitt. Tournament. Hey, significant things have happened uh, since you left and came back. Golf.org.au is now headquarters for all club golfers in this country to have a look at not only their handicap, but also some great yarns that are up on the website and, and all the information that people need. Congratulations on that. Why, why did it take so long? It seems such an obvious thing now when we're looking at it. When I go check my handicap now myself, it just seems, what have we been doing? Uh, look, I, I started in late 2008, and it's been something that we've wanted to do in my time and probably my predecessor's time as well the way the contract was structured it was basically given away to a third party uh, for an undefined mm. term so it's been a process to get it back i think the ownership group that we dealt with uh, that last ownership group were terrific msl they were they understood that the reasons we wanted to get it back and and have the rights to it and be able to provide a different service for golfers and they worked with us to, to make it a reality. So it is a really momentous time for uh, for golf in mm. Australia, I think. Um, it'll lead to a lot of positive outcomes for the game. Just while we're on the handicapping system and the handicaps, I reckon people were raising eyebrows at the start. I, I always liked the system. I mean, if you understand the mathematics of it and how in, how intricate it was to rate the golf courses with the slope and all that kind of stuff, I think. do you think now people have got a handle on... Best eight scores, last 20 rounds, a little bit of mathematics here and everybody's happy? Yeah, I do because we hear about it. Um, when the the first version of the new system came in in 2009, you know, it wasn't the right system for Australia. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, we hear about it because golfers, their handicap is really personal to them. It it's, uh, impacts how they play the game of golf far mm. more than, say, the rules of golf do. So, um, and it got changed and tweaked and... It's it's a really strong system now, so I think it works well. We most of the feedback we get is is pretty positive on it. And I reckon even more, it's a great system. It's an accurate system, you yeah. know. I I really do because not everyone gets to play at a Kingston Heath or you know, some of the tougher golf courses. So many of our golf courses they're just not as difficult as the championship courses that we all know and love. And if we're trying to make everybody kind of the same, you know, if, if someone from Albert Park turns up at Kingston Heath or at uh, the Moona Lynx, then the handicap's reflected. It just makes so much more sense. Steve, what, what we talked about the benefit there that it has for the golfer. What benefit does it have for Golf Australia and what, what Golf Australia can ultimately do? Look, I think first and foremost, it allows us to give the users a better experience when they're working to get their handicap and engaging around that. So I think that's absolutely the first thing. It's something we've wanted to do for a while. For us, it gives us a lot more data and intel and helps clubs uh, in terms of them driving their business and and making golf more prosperous um, and and their business more successful. There's no doubt about that. It allows us to have a direct communication 
with golfers. And I think the final thing, and it's something I've believed for a, for a long time, is that our current golfers are the best way to grow the game. If you think about how we all got into golf, it's usually by someone holding our hand through that process and getting us into the game. We've got a much better channel to communicate with golfers and to build a mentality and a culture of, of sharing the game of golf and bringing new people into the game. So I think that's a really powerful tool for us. Um, is that developing as, as we're getting older? I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. If it's not for my mum and dad, then there's no way in the world that I probably would have found golf. Um, I know a lot of golfers who, who turn professional either live right next to a golf course or the other one was they had parents who, who played golf. Do you think golf clubs right around the country are getting better at introducing kids to the game. And I, and I want to talk about my golf in a sec because I know it's an enormous thing that Golf Australia have, have undertaken. Do you think we are getting better as, as, as people who are custodians of this game moving forward and clubs understanding the importance of getting kids to it? Yes, I, th- I absolutely think we do. I, th- I believe golf had a culture problem that's still not perfect, but if you think back you know, when I started playing golf, to be a junior was a pretty scary thing. You know, you had people screaming at you from two or three fairways away about your socks dropping down to Correct. your calf level. I think a lot of that has disappeared from golf. I think the female environment is far more welcoming for young girls. I, th- I still think it's got a little way to go. But those sort of cultural things are being eradicated from the game. I think when you go to any golf club, you'll see people out there with kids you know, especially really young kids after the field on a Saturday, just getting a golf club in the hand of hands of kids. And that's, to me, what it's all about. It's about giving them a positive, enjoyable experience. So, yeah, I do think that has improved dramatically. And if you think about if going back to the Golf Link um, acquisition, since the 3rd of April, we've had 150,000 club golfers in, in basically two weeks mm. um, checking their handicap uh, through golf. How many? 150,000. So if you think about that, there's 400,000 club golfers. Um, so it's nearly 40% of people in a two-week period have logged on and checked their handicap. Staggering. So we can build a, a channel to communicate with those people and, and really strengthen the culture in golf about sharing the game. John Sutherland, you know, your friend of yours, Mark, he's a... Uh, he documented to us today. We've had a one and a half million page views in that time, uh, which actually starts to make golf a legitimate, uh, not not a threat, but a, it's a legitimate contender in the size stakes mm. with all the major sports, which is something that we've probably been pushing to do as golfers and golf fans uh, for a long time, and it actually makes it legitimate. Was golf was golf Australia expecting so many hits on their web page? I mean, it's only a brand new thing, and we've all been so accustomed. To me, the numbers are ridiculous. We've all been so accustomed to go. I don't know, I've forgotten what even the app's name was. I used to go to a little green app. I used to have on my phone. I used to touch on it, and away we go. And we're so accustomed with going to that. You must be staggered that people oh. have changed their way so quickly. I was shocked. I mean, th- that quantum. I I didn't think it would be near that. I thought it might have been half that. And I would have been pleased if it was, you know, seventy-five thousand mm. to a hundred thousand, but one hundred and fifty is quite incredible. I think our challenge is to make sure we're building some content and a site that golfers want to come back to regularly, you know, beyond checking their handicap, so that we can really engage with golfers and give them a reason for being there. There is Marco Stephen Pitt now a little bit more left in that chat, so we're going to take mm. a break and uh, and come back and continue that. Yeah, I quiz him about uh, where our golf tournament should be. Yes, that's coming up next. In your life! 
Nick, have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. Yeah, welcome back. It is The Clubhouse right across Australia. Julian Bayard and Mark Allen with you. We're halfway through Marco's chat during the week with Golf Australia CEO Stephen Pitt. Let's continue listening to that right now. There's been a lot of talk, Steve, about the PGA and Golf Australia merging up. And it got to a point there too, I reckon, even 20 years ago. It seemed like there was the AGU... Golf Victoria, Golf New South Wales, Golf Queensland, golf, you know, it, it was all great. Then you had the Vic PGA, the New South Wales PGA, the Tassie PGA. It was a mess. And that, that's 20 years ago. At the moment, there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, clearly. How big a process? How, how, how about the structures to try and get it all and everybody pointed in the one direction? I imagine it has been a headache. It, it's been a lot of work. And there's two phases, Mark. The first phase is what we're calling one golf, and that's trying to bring uh, GA and the, the state bodies together as one operating company. So we've had independent work done from KPMG and Bastion and Gemba, and they've their view is that we're wasting about 3 to $4 million a year. Crazy. Yeah, and we saw the corporate world go through this 30 years ago. They know that you don't decentralise all your, your organisational... Mm. Uh, tasks and finance and those sort of things that you centralise those things, you save money and you put money back to where it's needed. So that's the philosophy behind uh, One Golf. We've got five states out of seven that have agreed in principle, and we're working with the other two. Um, and then the second phase is really is what we're calling Project Align, and that's really the greater piece of how we can get to one body governing the game of golf in Australia. Okay, not long ago we had the PGA. And also the PGA Tour, to make it even worse. Now, those two bodies have combined. Yes. How, how, how are they going with the idea that let's get everybody under this one umbrella known as Golf Australia? Is that, do they feel like they lose their power? I mean, because I've, I've been a member since 1990, and I know the organisation, and I don't want to say it's got a healthy opinion about itself, but it... it it has a real standing here in this country and a, and a power. How, how are you going to go about that? I don't know. I think the task is to bring the bodies together. There's some certain things around the PGA brand can never be lost because it is – there's a couple of things about it. One, it's a great accreditation system that's been around for you know 106 years. Mm. Uh, and it's really important in terms of the training and development of, of professional golfers. But secondly, it's a, it's a global brand. Um, so it just can't be lost. The Golf Australia brand, well, you know, it can go by the wayside. It's it's a relatively new brand. It's it's ten years old. So it's 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 far more expendable. So I think what will happen is there'll be a new name that's created for the organisation. The PGA brand um, mm. will endure because it needs to endure. That's really important. So it's more about what we can gain rather than what we can lose. I've been critical, Steve. I want to move on to the golf scene in this country. I've, I've been critical that our big tournaments aren't in a row in February. I, I just think we're really missing out. I think the landscape in golf has changed so much since 1990. You know, we've got wraparound tours and both the European tour and the, and the US tour as well. Um, I think once we're November served as well, I'm not so sure anymore. Is it worth not just selling the farm and moving everything to February, is it worth at least a look and a try? And let's see whether we do get more players coming because, I mean, now that, again, now that I do this job, 
it feels like footy finishes up in October and then footy keeps on going until November, then the cricket starts. The cricket starts and then we get to the tennis. And then once we're sick of cricket, once we're sick of tennis, we've got February sitting right there. Mm. And apart from the practice matches and now the... AFLW and the soccer that's going on, February just seems so perfect, not only for us as a sporting nation, but also for that European tour that just sits there and I know know as a fact they take our tournaments in two seconds and line them all up and you could have tournaments against them. Is is that something that is... um, that you'd like to forecast, you'd like to see change, or is it something? Have you, have you got bigger plans at stake at the moment that it takes a, a back seat? In the tour space, we've been more a, a tournament operator than than the tour. That obviously sits with the PGA. From our perspective, when we're looking at what we have to do to make the Australian Open successful, it's it's the, the number one thing is our top Australian players. Yeah, and if you don't have them, you don't effectively have a tournament. Correct. Um, and that's been the difference from, for us. We've had great support and we've been able to put some incredible players around them. So in the last five years, we've you know, had Brilliant. Rory, Jordan, Tiger, um, you know, you name it, yeah. they've played. And by the way, that's credit to you because it's up against basically uh, Thanksgiving. It's up against the European Tour Finals. Yep. It's up against the start of the US Tour season and you got tour schools and all that kind of stuff. So the fact that you've been able to, then to do that, that to me is remarkable. So congratulations, but continue. Yeah. So the the feedback from the top guys, you know, within the last five to six years has been November works better than than say February. Um, so that that's been a, mm. a critical thing for us. We we wouldn't say never at all. Um, we've got an open mind and we want to be part of a vibrant. Yep. schedule, uh, if you like, and we want to play a role with PGA and uh, yeah. and you know with Perth and and the other events that are out there. So we're open to it. We're, we're certainly open to to different tour sanctioning, and mm. that, that's probably something we're going to have to address in the next year or so. Um, I think for us, we'd like the Emirates Australian Open to be a better pathway event for players jumping on to, to tours and that's probably yeah. the best thing that European tour has offered in recent years when you look at someone like Nathan Holman the opportunities he he's yeah, that's had right. through that so we're, we're really cognizant of that mm-hmm. um, but by the same token we've, we've been really pleased with what the Australian Open has done no doubt you know in the last five or six years we've seen it go from an event that was struggling to something that's that's really boomed and mm. blossomed, and the trajectory is still positive for us. So we've got to weigh that up too. What well I Marco? Fascinating chat with the Golf Australia CEO Stephen Pitt, yourself, and the media manager of Golf Australia, Mark Hayes, on chasing birdies during the week. I'm not sure. I'm in his good books just at the moment with uh, trying to push his number one tournament, the Australian Open, to February. <laughs> but at least it's on the radar. At least you put it out there, Marco. At least it's I mean, on. You've the been radar. talking about it for a while. I won't stop, mate. I will not stop. And once he gets everything under the one umbrella, and I, and I think Stephen Pitt's the man to get this done, yep. and that means not just the amateur body and the professional body. We're talking about there is a PGA and the PGA Tour that is now under one umbrella. There's the PGA Victoria, PGA New South Wales, Queensland, Perth, you know, every, all those things. Then there's also amateur bodies. There's yep. Golf Victoria, Golf New South Wales, Golf Queensland. All these people need to be under one umbrella and it ends up saving three or four million bucks a year. Yep. So over ten years, that's thirty or forty million dollars saved. 
it goes happen. back into the coffers. It's a no-brainer. It's got to happen. Yep. And Stephen Pitt, in my view, is the man to make that happen. All right, Marco, we're going to get to a break. You've got a master class to finish off. You betcha. Up next, stick around. This is the Clubhouse. Marco's Masterclass. Yeah, time to get a free golf lesson from the number one teacher in golf on radio. His name's Mark Allen, and he gives you a Clubhouse Masterclass each and every week. All for Club Mandalay Golf Course. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. And as always, don't forget, you book online using uh, the code we give you right now, CM Golf. CM Golf, just plug it in, save 10%, clubmandalay.com.au. Marco, what do you Okay, got? I'm going to get everyone to visualize rolling a ball when they putt today. And it sounds so ridiculously simple, but when you roll a ball, now you can do this in the car if you're at home watching, when you roll a ball, that hand stays back and you let the ball roll down the fingers. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get the ball to actually roll. When you try and make the ball roll, you'll find yourself that the hands will stay back and you'll actually use the blade or the face of the club yep. and it will the top edge will lead first mm -hmm. and that will get the ball rolling. So the actual, quite often you'll see a pro when he's trying to get the distance of a long putt, you'll see him make a rolling action with his hand, just yep. trying to work out how far to roll it. So there's two reasons to do this. One, if you were rolling a ball six feet, it would be a very small backswing. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to roll a ball down an alley, like a bowling alley, it would be a great big long backswing. Right. When you roll a ball, it's very natural, very natural, to adjust the backswing length of your hand to how far you want to roll that ball. And that is exactly what you're trying to do when you putt as well. Mm -hmm. And I harp on this, but it's something that you have to get into your head. A short putt has a short backswing. A medium putt has a medium backswing. A long putt has a long backswing. And a really long putt has a really long backswing. You've got to match it up. And instead of trying to judge how hard to hit the ball, this time, today, when you're out playing, try and judge how long the backswing should be and match up that instead of trying to judge how hard to hit it. And that applies to not only putting, it applies to chipping, it yes. applies to bunker shots, it applies to absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. When there is touch involved, try and judge the backswing length, not how hard to hit the ball. I've got to say, Marco, mm -hmm. this tip you've told me about off air before. With the pitches. With the pitches. Yeah. Chipping's become much, much better lately. The, you know, because it's all about you don't want to be decelerating through no. the ball. Or you don't want to be accelerating too much. That's right. You, don't, you want to be just going so just right. your normal swing. It's got to be just through right. Through that, and then you do the amount of speed That's right. you it, put through it. Golf's about repeti uh, repetition. Mm -hmm. And when there is touch involved, the repetition is going through the ball with the same urgency or the same tempo. Yep. The same, I don't want to say acceleration, but I'm going to. You want to go through with the same acceleration for every shot. Yep. And if it's a different backswing length, then by definition, if you go through with the same acceleration, by the time right. you get to the ball, the ball will be going a different length. Yep. So the intensity after backswing length stays the same, and you will find judging distance not only on putts, but on chips, pitches, half seven irons. If you want to take a little bit off a driver, mm -hmm. backswing length. If you want to hit a long drive, long backswing. All those things come into play. The best players do it really naturally. Everybody else struggles. That's it unless you start thinking about it today. Marco's Masterclass each and every week for Club Mandalay. It's golf in Melbourne's north, clubmandalay.com.au. Marco, we've got to get out of here. You know what we're going to do next week? What are we doing so next week? We've got week? this new studio. Yeah, I love There's it. There's a perfect little putting, putting green right here. In the breaks. And you're going to give me a putting lesson no in problems. the ad breaks right no here. Because I need some help. Good on you, buddy. <laughs> we'll see you next I'll week. I'll see you next week.